If you would, turn to Luke 18. We'll also have it on the screen behind me. We're in a series on the parables. This is week two of six. I just want to keep saying this, that uh, what we're talking about this semester and the life of the kingdom uh, is meant to be linked with what you talk about in a small group. So if you are not in a small group at Valley Hope, we want to help you find one. Um, If you're a college student, that includes you. I would just say that the likelihood of you getting free non-cafeteria food is greatly increased if you would be a part of a small group. So if for no other reason, be selfish and steal our food, we are inviting you to do so. We want everybody who comes to Valley Hope to come be a part of our small groups. And if you want help with that, we have some, I think those connection cards are in the back. Are they? Still back there? Yes, you can fill one out and we'll help you find one. Luke 18, verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice, so she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus uh, is, is taught this parable after being uh, asked about the end of all things. So his, his disciples have asked uh, what it's like basically to to know and recognize what the last days are going to be like. And remember, the disciples are, are in a time and a place where they want the end of all things to be now. They're Israelites in a land of Israel that is ruled and conquered by Gentile oppressors, by Romans, and they have not ruled in Israel for a long time. Israel is supposed to be the carrier of the hope of the world, and they are not in any way resembling that identity. They are under the foot of foreign oppressors for centuries and centuries and centuries. So the people of Israel are longing for the last things to come. And Jesus tells them that things are not going to be as they expect. He, he goes on this long description of the Son of Man coming suddenly uh, out of the blue, as it were. And this passage has gotten written into songs and things like that, where Jesus says there's two men walking up a hill, and then one of them is gone. Or there's two people in bed, and then one of them is gone. And sometimes it's gotten misinterpreted as Jesus saying like that the person disappears into this sort of raptured state, but they ask him specifically, where did the disappeared person go? And uh, he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So the disappearing thing, not a good thing. Um, 
Jesus is saying the kingdom will come suddenly and it's, it's bloody and it's, there's judgment involved and there will be hard times ahead. So after he's gone on this extended description of what the end of all things will be, he tells this parable so basically they don't, they don't give up. They don't lose heart. He tells the story of this unjust judge and this woman who pleads for help. Now, my, my suggestion to you is that when we read this parable, we misinterpret it. Maybe not in our minds, but in our hearts. And what we tend to do is we read Jesus' description and we believe the wrong thing in the parable. We believe the thing we are not meant to believe, and we don't believe the thing that we should. So here's my suggestion. What we, don't, what we are not meant to believe, and we do believe, is that God is like the unjust judge. The point of this parable is not that Jesus is standing in front of his disciples and saying, you know what God is like? He's like a jerk. He's like a jerk that only cares about himself, and you have to annoy him into getting what you want in prayer. The point of the parable is not that God is this way. But in all honesty, I've had any number of conversations with people where what they believe is exactly this. God is this unreadable, capricious, mean person. So you've probably heard this. You've probably, if you're like me, you've probably said something like this. Um, <clears throat> Let's see an example that, that I can think of in my own life. I, uh, my wife and I found out that we were pregnant very early in our marriage. That was not the plan. I, I was 22 and terrified uh, about having a baby. And so I prayed, God, please, this is so scary if you could at least give me a boy so that I could have some sort of clue as to what I was doing, that would be really great. And then I would tell people that I prayed this prayer, and then you know what I would say? I would say, well, now that I've said that, now God's definitely going to give me a girl. God's definitely going to give me the opposite of what I want. I mean, I did have a daughter. But that, that, I, don't, I don't think that that proved my suspicion. I realize I may have undermined my point here. <laughs> Stick with me, though. I'll come back to this. My, my assumption was that if I want something bad, badly, God will then see that thing that I want badly or the thing that I'm, that I'm af afraid of happening, and He will then do the opposite the thing that I have, basically because God likes to screw with people. And if you like something too much, if you want something too much, even if it's a good thing, God actually delights in doing the opposite of what you want. Now, first, it has to be acknowledged, sometimes, many times, most of the time, you and I are really bad at wanting, okay? You and I are really bad at wanting the right thing. But even if that wasn't true, the idea that we would think of God as this kind of person, 
is, I think, profoundly faithless. It is not what God is like. Nowhere does God in Scripture present Himself as the one who delights in torturing people and finding the opposite of what you want and doing it just because it's the opposite. Now, very clearly, God is not afraid of not giving you what you want. But it is not because He is mean and capricious. I think that this often can make people, and I would, I would probably say we're, we're moving into the land of superstition when we do this. This makes people afraid to confess out loud the real and true good things that they want in this world. As if God is some strange, karma-driven, magical, superstitious kind of God who A, doesn't know already what you want in your heart, and B, is extremely eager to crush your little heart. That is not who God is. And Jesus in this parable is not comparing Himself with the unjust judge and saying, this is what God is like. But that is the thing that we are quick to believe. We believe about this parable what we should not believe. But then we don't believe what we should believe. The attention then shifts to the woman, the widow, who prays and prays and prays and asks for justice. She comes again and again and again. And out of the pure annoyance of her repetition, the judge caves in. Jesus, Luke tells us, tells this parable so that we might not lose heart. We are meant to believe that we are supposed to keep on going in prayer. Now, people ask me as a point of theological curiosity or a a point of real spiritual angst, what is the purpose of prayer? What what is the point of it all? Yeah, I, I get this question maybe more than other pastors simply because I'm a Presbyterian pastor. We have a strong view of God's initiative and God's sovereignty. What is the point if God is sovereign and He has a plan that He will absolutely execute in the world? What is the point of praying? You know, to the person who has this question as a, as a piece of intellectual curiosity, we can have an interesting discussion about the purpose of prayer and how it's more formative for the prayer than it is about changing something in the world or the relationship of God to time and knowledge and, and all of these things. These, this is an interesting conversation I'm happy to have with people and I've had many times. But the person that I think most needs to pay attention to this parable is the person who asks this question with a broken heart. What, what is the point? 
of prayer. And, and I, I know that I've been in places in my life where I have not at all been interested in persisting in prayer. Because nothing seems outwardly to change. And I think that all of us can go down the list of things that we have prayed for and prayed for and prayed for. And many of us would, would look at that list and see a lot, of, a lot of no's, a lot of seemingly unanswered prayer. And so when we ask this question, we ask, we ask with a broken heart, what is the point of prayer? And Jesus doesn't answer the question. He doesn't give us a clear formula as an answer to the question. He doesn't, he doesn't say that if you do this or that, then you get what you want. Then the list goes from a list of no's to a list of yeses. Jesus' answer about the thing that we should believe, that we ought to keep on praying, is about the thing that we do believe and we shouldn't. Because answering that question in this parable is all about how God is not like the unjust judge. This, this, prayer, this parable is all about the character of God in relation to His people. And he says in, in this parable, think about how the unjust judge responds. Think about how awful of a person he appears to be. Jesus is not sparing in his description of him. There is a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. It says he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Really pay attention to that, in other words. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so she'll not beat me down. It's entirely a self Focus, self-interested person. Jesus sets up this contrast and says, if this kind of person, this unjust judge, will give justice to this widow, then how much more will your Father in heaven delight in giving you justice? How much more then, if such a terrible person, such a terrible character, can ultimately do what is right, can you trust the God who is far, far, far better than this judge will give justice to his beloved speedily? We don't believe that we ought to keep praying. We, we think that we, we should pray once a day, maybe for a few days, and then we just kind of forget, or we lose heart, we quit. Some of us have prayed for the same thing over and over and over and over again for a long, long time. And we just start to believe that this has no point, because we are tired. 
But in this parable, Jesus shifts the focus off of us and puts the focus on the one who is being prayed to. We keep praying because of who God is. I don't know. I don't know how persistent prayer changes things. I don't, there's no diagram that I can flip to in a special pastor's Bible that really breaks it down. Like when you cross this threshold or past this line in the formula of, of man's participation in the plan of God, then God like moves things in this. There's no, I have no diagram. I have nothing that I can tell you about how exactly this breaks down. But what I can tell you is what God is very clear about, and that's who he is. Who he is is not changed by circumstance. And who he is is not capricious or unreadable. Who he is is constantly the person that invites his people to come to him. Keep coming to God in prayer because of who God is. Not because of the results, not because of how good you are, or not because you might think that you might one day become the kind of person who God might listen to, but because of who God is, keep coming in prayer because he is not like the God that you fear he is like. He's not like the one who is like the unjust judge. He tells this parable so that you and I might not lose heart. When I was reading this passage, I just at some point stopped and I just read it out loud, starting in verse 1. And I was so profoundly moved by that first verse. Jesus tells this prayer so that you and I might not lose heart. Jesus, the great pastor, the great shepherd, cares for his people who facing the end of all things, the delayed timeline of justice given, cares that we might lose heart. And he wants us to keep on going. Now here is what God will give His people. God will give His people justice. This is maybe not what we always pray for. We maybe are not so much invested in, in praying for justice, and this is where I would maybe look back at my prayer for a, for a boy instead of a girl. My interest had nothing to do with the justice of God in my life. I was more interested in questions of fairness and God, please, please help me not to go crazy. I have three girls for the record, if you, if you don't know. I have three daughters. You and I often ask the wrong question. Do we pray for what is the justice of God, the making right of all things on the earth? But, but I would tell you that many of you have heart, had your hearts broken and you were praying for the justice of God. The, the clearest example that I can give to you is prayers for healing. I can tell you with absolute certainty that God intends to banish sickness and death. 
That's the plan. No more sickness and death. That is the end of all things in the Christian story. On the other side of God completing all things, there is no more sickness and death. To pray for healing is to pray for justice. It is to long for justice. It is to pray towards that end. That is the shalom of God that is meant to dwell on the earth. And yet I know that many of the people that I have prayed for to be healed have had their healing delayed or never came. That is when it is very possible for Jesus' people to lose heart. And Jesus never in this parable or in the teaching before it corrects the timeline for us. He never tells us this, look for this chronology, and then all things will be fixed. What he asks for is our trust. When I get tired of praying for someone to be healed, when I get tired of praying that the kingdom would come like this, how then do I trust that the justice of God will will come one day? What is the thing that I can cling to if, if in that moment I cling to me doing the right things, mustering enough faith, applying the anointing oil correctly, praying enough times or sharing it appropriately on Facebook to get enough people to click like and apply their prayers after clicking like, which doesn't happen. You know that it's not true. If my, my hopes for justice being given, hinge on all of these things being done. The healing and the justice of God seems impossible and seems pointless, and I lose heart. And if you have a view of God where God actually delights in crushing your desires, delights in saying no to good things, delights in not bringing the justice of God to the earth, then it is very easy to lose heart. But Jesus presents the the solution to this problem by centering it on Himself and the character of God. So if you and I are not going to lose heart in being a praying people, a persistently praying people, the kind of people that answer the question at the end of this parable, yes, I will continue to have faith in the Son of Man. Yes, I will continue to follow God. Yes, I will continue to trust no matter the appearance, the way things are now, no matter the heartache, no matter the pain, no matter the burden. If we are to answer this question in verse 8, Will the Son of Man find us faithful? How are we supposed to be that kind of people? Because our hopes must center on the character of God supremely revealed in the crucified Jesus.
You can trust that God is not like the unjust judge because Jesus was crucified before your eyes. Because in the crucified Jesus, God stretches Himself out before an unjust and broken and evil world and He does the thing that needs to be done. He doesn't do nothing. When we are tempted to believe God is doing nothing, God has done nothing, God is not answering my prayers, we are meant to look at the cross as the revelation of God's character, the momentous, decisive victory of God in the world. And we are supposed to be reminded that God has not only heard, He has not only done something, He has done everything that is necessary. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God brings His justice to the world in fullness and in promise that fullness is coming upon fullness. The head of the serpent that is loose in the world and is biting his people everywhere and filling the world with venom and fury, the head of that serpent has been crushed in the action of the just God who hears the cry of his people. For God is always himself the God who hears His people crying out in slavery in Egypt and saying, I have not forgotten My people. I have remembered My people. He has always been Himself. He has never been the way that we feared that He would be. We are the people who are members of this kingdom who pray and pray and pray, not because we live in some fantasy land, not because we think that if we do it enough times or in the right special way, then then we'll get what we want. We pray and we pray and we pray in the life of the kingdom because we see the king crucified. And we trust that he is who he is. And he will be faithful to his people until the very end. We are now caught in the tension of the King who has come and who is yet coming again. God will speedily, if on His own time, bring justice to the world. If you are caught now in this moment in your life where you do not know how to keep going, the cross of Jesus is before you this morning is an invitation to you to keep praying and a promise to you that God is never the God who does nothing, but He is the God who has done everything and will do everything to bring His justice to the world. And if you are a person who you've lost heart because of the way the The world has crushed you. Take comfort. Take comfort. Jesus wants you to be comforted. He wants you to be comforted. He does not want you to lose heart and be deceived about who He is. Give yourself over to this King again and again and again. You and I have the privilege, the opportunity to take all of our brokenheartedness 
in all of our questions, all of the unanswered, unknowing, and keep throwing it at the feet of the judge who we trust to be better than this judge. And we believe that because he is faithful, he will then in turn make us faithful. That we might look more and more like him as we wait and long for the day that he comes to finish the bringing of his justice to the world. Do not lose heart. Keep on praying. Would you pray with me now? God, we thank you that you are better than what we fear you're like. We thank you that our misconception of you is not the God who rules over heaven and earth. We put ourselves in that place. We make things all about ourselves one way or another. And we thank you for sending your Son to correct us and deliver us from that. God, I pray for all of those who are weary and brokenhearted. I pray, God, that you would help us to take heart in your character. Help us to believe what we should in this parable and to not hear what we shouldn't. God, I I pray that you will make us a kingdom people who give ourselves over to persistent and patient prayer as we wait for you to come in fullness. Help us, God, to keep seeing the cross. See you revealed there in all your glory. Help the cross, help us to be shaped by the cross. Let us be cruciform in all that we do and say and pray. We believe, Lord Jesus. Help our unbelief. We trust you to do this in us for your glory, God, and for our good. Amen.